will get to where we need to go in the appropriate amount of time. And so they actually just use like real science yeah. to do it. Um, I was thinking of it. One of the versions of Mazinger Z. Mazinger. Mazinger. Mazinger Z. Okay. So there was one that had like two bros like inside his head, like floating around. I okay. Think. And there was a giant floating island involved. I can't okay. I can't nail that one down right now. It might have been was Infinity. It older or newer? It's Infin- newer. It's Infinity very newer. is I think it was a movie, and that one came out just in the last ten years. Yes. Yeah. That sounds about right. That that looks right to me. Yeah, Mazinger is one I, I haven't watched a whole lot of. Um, but like Mazinger and Get a Robo are definitely the kinds of things that like Gunbuster is inspired by. Um, it's so hot blooded and it's just, oh, it's so good. I just looked it up. I've never seen this before. I'm going to have yeah. to watch it. Like, that's just how it is. And this is probably why the two of us should not be allowed on a podcast without Jamie here oh. because we are going to go into the wilds of anime so fast. The, the cat's asleep. The mouse that's will play. Right. Quick, quick. The guards are asleep. Talk about nothing but anime and other nerdy stuff. People, it's a podcast. People can choose whether they're going to listen to it or not. And if they've listened to other ones with us, they know what's going to happen. They know what we'll talk about for. some game stuff too. There's plenty of it. Oh, it'll but, come you know. up. It'll come up eventually yeah. once we're done talking about like what Evangelion really means, which will be a whole five-hour Patreon episode someday, I think. But for now, hello and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, your source for tabletop gaming news in Bloomington, Illinois, on and beyond. I'm your host, John Parrott, and with me today is Jesse. And you might already say, wait a second. These two nerds have been talking about anime this whole entire time. Where's Jamie coming in with his nerd? I didn't, I didn't watch that stuff, uh, which is which is false. And I like to point out every time we talk about cartoons from Jamie's uh, childhood. Yes, I mean basically he he knows. Yeah, he knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. Uh, but he's not here, and why? Because he had an amazing week at Gen Con, yeah. and then I believe hopped on a plane and went on vacation. Yes. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously opened up the new store and everything like that. It is well-deserved. Um, however, without him not being here today, we don't have a lot of from on-the-scene news about what happened at Gen Con, but we do have plenty of news articles to get to. So we will stop talking about some Gen Con stuff. And then also there's a little bit of a secret surprise that we're going to be mentioning at the end of this episode. Uh, so Ooh. stick around and find out. I, I don't even know what the You don't. Is. It's a shocker, let okay. me tell you. Um... But before we get there, Jesse, how's the store this last week? Um, good, busy. Uh, with Jamie at Gen Con, it was, you know, we we just came off of uh, Ryan had taken vacation the week prior, also well earned, and uh, so we were short a person that week. We got through it, and then this last week we were short of Jamie, and we got through it. Um, but yeah, I mean. We got a whole lot of Gundam in. <laughs> we got a bunch of other <laughs> cool stuff in. Um, and we've just been trucking along. That's fantastic. Um, I, there's been a few hectic things that have happened, though, in the last 24 hours. Do you want to talk about those? Uh, yeah, we, we had some water coming in from uh, around the outside. Uh, so we're, we, we, Jamie put a post on Facebook, um, explaining the situation and asking basically if anyone has recommendations for, um, contractors who do like, uh, masonry tuck pointing, basement ceiling, all that kind of stuff, because there are some areas, uh, it's basically coming in from like the sidewalk. Um, we're going to need to do a bunch of ceiling. And so, uh, 
if we get quotes from multiple companies, then I believe there is some city grants or like subsidizing that we can do since it's also city stuff. Um, that's my, my general understanding because I haven't talked to Jamie specifically about it. But you can read the post on the Facebook. And then if you have any that you would want to recommend, please put that there. It'll help us out. Um, so it looks like that got mostly handled yesterday. Um, lucky me, my office is nowhere near where water can get to it from that kind of leak. So which is great because like I was dealing with water in my basement at home. So I really wanted you to didn't need it in two too. different places. No, yep, that checks out. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, that was that. We we got like some some locks rekeyed this last week to streamline things, and then uh, there was some confusion that we got resolved uh, about that, and uh, that's mainly it. Okay. Yeah. Well, so if you uh, walk around the store and you find a puddle, please report it to oh, your yeah. nearest Road Raccoon employee because uh, we need to know, and so we can get this fixed. Because yeah. uh, we really like this place. It's brand spanking new. Uh, we don't want it to become a swamp because yeah. that's how you get Shreks. That's right. And Shreks aren't great. Yeah. I mean, they look good in the movies, <laughs> but I, that is going to be, okay, it's a weird tangent. So Shrek was an ogre, right? Uh-huh. Was he the only ogre out well, there? There's, there's um, Fiona's also an ogre, right? So, okay, was Fiona an ogre? I thought as Fiona is, wait, is it the Fiona's cursed to be an ogre or is Fiona cursed to be a human? So here... <sighs> I don't remember. There's probably somebody with a lot more Shrek lore Someone on the staff. In the we comments should be bringing will have yeah. uh, Shrek lore. But from what I understood, because her dad was a frog that was kissed and brought to be a prince, that she was a half frog, half human hybrid uh, that just happened to look like an ogre. Now maybe ogres are supposed to be half frog, half human. I I'm I'm not sure. Are you looking this up right now? Yeah, because I have to know now. Um. <laughs> okay. Well, until we get some answers about that, I'm going to go ahead and talk about what's been on my table lately. Uh, because I got to play a game that is actually made from a designer here in Bloomington that I've absolutely loved and I've been able to show to people. And... Every time we play, everybody is a little lackluster until they understand the deep interconnectedness of the game, and then they absolutely love it. And that is Dance Card Freshman Year. So, Oh, yeah. I love Dance Card. Dance Card's amazing. It gets really overlooked because a lot of people just have trouble grokking what it is, I think. Exactly. And it's so much fun because, for those of you that don't know, you play at a freshman dance. Uh, there are There's a dance floor section. There's refreshments and uh, bleachers, and then there's a janitor's closet and a bathroom. And you choose one out of, I think it's like over 40 students. So you have all these small little placards standing up. And you choose to be, four players, choose to be one of the people on the dance floor, and you have a dance card of who you want to dance with. And if you can get your friends to come help you on the dance floor... Uh, they'll give you extra bonus die for when you attempt to dance with somebody. You can talk to the person you want to dance with friends and learn about them and get some inside knowledge. Uh, and that's going to give you some bonus die. If you try and dance with somebody and fail, you got to go collect your nerves. So you got to go back to the janitor's closet or uh, the bathroom to collect yourself so you can approach and dance them again. And as you're moving people around, your opponents are also moving people around trying to get set up for the dance. It's the fun part is not necessarily just the gameplay because there is some strategy, but I would say it's a lighter game. 
the fun part is when people start realizing that the characters they're playing is on other people's dance cards, and then you're like, oh, you're my rival, so F you. I'm not getting you getting close to this person. Or you're my dance partner's crush. I need you to back off. Or, oh, you're my best friend. I need you to follow me everywhere so that way I can do this. Uh, it, it begins to blend those mechanics and each one of these very unique and in- incredibly inclusive characters that you see in the game are just fun to play with. They automatically have a personality, even though there's no story written about them. You kind of get their vibe and you can really get into the game uh, really simply. Um, Jesse, I know that you said you... Uh, I haven't been playing stuff right now, but you've been doing some other geek hobbies that are yeah. sponsored by Red Raccoon Games. Um, and I was going to say, uh, Dance Card, I think, is a very unique game. Like, you can... It's not one that immediately jumps at you with, like, well, it's this style of game. It does these mechanics. Uh, and I think that's really great about it. And the flavor's good. The artwork's great. Um, and it just kind of makes you want to listen to Fallout Boy on repeat. Um, get that energy. Yeah, I had multiple people who were like, "But I don't want to remember high school." And I'm like, "No, it, this <laughs> this is less actually making you think about like being at a high school dance and more like watching Buffy or something." It does kind of give that vibe of that. There's some tensions there. There's yeah. a character that that it looks like Corella Deville. There's a character that. Uh, is definitely an anime main and like protagonist, right. and she gets even her own like special anime deck. Um, there's just the guy that brings the ukulele, and you know that guy. So I I do love that you like go to the bathroom to like steal your nerves to like yeah. draw more cards. You got to yeah. look at yourself in the mirror and really yeah. reevaluate how you're going to dance with Benny because Benny needs to be danced with. Um, but yeah, I so real quick because I I went to the the Wikipedia page for Princess Fiona and. Um, this is more involved than we thought. Okay. So basically, the the short version as I skimmed it is, as of the first movie, they left it inconclusive and didn't actually, they kind of like left it up for debate whether her true nature was human or ogre. And then they had a few different ideas about how to handle that, and they got scrapped. And then I think they ha- did something with it in 2. I don't remember anything about the plot for 2, because I'm not even sure if I saw it. 2 was when, I believe, Shrek met the family. Okay. That's when he went to and the so castle. And so that I didn't find the details of before it was my turn. So um, That's fair. That's fair. So we've, we're it, trying. Go ahead and discuss in the uh, the Discord um, <laughs> yes, please. Shrek lore. We'll start a channel just and, for Shrek lore, <laughs> just to make sure it's all contained in one place. And 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 Jamie's going to be like, what happened while I was gone? <laughs> well, Jamie, we didn't just talk about giant robots, and this is what happened. Yep, Are you, you happy? Always let us just talk about giant robots. So I, I've been playing a little bit. I've been playing Dominion. Um, and for a long time, I... Um, I avoided checking out a lot of the later Dominion expansions because I felt like they were going to overcomplicate things. Like, sometimes you just like the 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 pure and simple, like, basic version of a game. And I am in the minority, I think, in that I personally don't like the attack cards in Dominion. I like when you can play Dominion Euro style and not have, like, a lot of direct interaction. Um, but, so it means that, like, Intrigue is actually not an expansion that I enjoy a whole lot. But I've been checking out some stuff from um, the because uh, the the Dominion app has like a daily play where it'll give you hey here's a setup like that you can play once a day even if you don't oh. own the expansions 
and um, it'll pull things from a bunch of different expansions. And so I played some stuff from Plunder and some stuff from Hinterlands, Nocturne, and a couple others, but like uh, I think Menagerie was another one. But the ones that really stuck out stuck out to me were Nocturne and uh, Plunder, um, and it was really fun. Like they really have done some creative things in those different expansions to put twists on the game in a way that add to it and not just make it more complicated. Um, so like Plunder had some duration cards, which are kind of like they stay out after your turn and usually go off the next turn. Um, Nocturne had stuff that like there's a night phase that happens after your buy phase. And then there are cards that like you gain a boon or a hex when you buy it. Um, so there was, there was a lot of things I thought were neat. And what I liked about it was like, I didn't, I don't want to buy the expansions on the app cause they're not cheap. I'd rather just have the physical cards. Right. But this really did give me a taste of the other expansions. Cause there's so many of them to go, Hmm, I would like to check this one out more. So, uh, so that's been cool. Makes me really want to like get it to the table and, and play some of those more. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then besides that, I've been building Gumpla again. Um, I hadn't been building at home uh, in a while and just basically doing, you know, our month, monthly uh, build night, uh, building there slowly. Um, but I've started to spend more time uh, building, like, uh, sharing time with friends on, uh, like, video calls and stuff. And uh, that's been really nice. It's been nice getting back into the, the swing with it and it's very um, relaxing, and it feels good to see something that you made, right? Yes. You do something. It's not something you have to pay a lot of mental attention to usually. And then there's a thing done. You go, hey, look, I did that. It's absolutely true. And I love the fact that you were able to find somebody that you could parallel play with yeah. while you're putting this together. Because I'm, I'm trying to put together a Gurren Logon mm-hmm. that I believe you just put on the shelf just to tempt me. <laughs> and it, it's kind of that same thing of I'm loving putting it together. But it's one of those things where... I don't want to necessarily watch television because I'm trying to read directions and look at pieces and all of mm-hmm. that. Um, I mean, listening to music is okay or a podcast yeah. maybe, but actually being able to interact with somebody when maybe they're doing something that, I mean, Gunpla is the perfect parallel play activity in my opinion, yeah. just like Legos. Like it yeah. just makes sense. I absolutely agree. And it's great when you like, you know, if you pan a line, when you just get a line that works really nicely and it looks great and you can be like, Hey, look and show it off or, mm-hmm. When there's something that goes together in a really weird way, being able to vent about it or like ask, hey, uh, what's going on here? Um, It's really nice. So I've really been enjoying that. Speaking of what's going on here, let's get to the meat and bones of what our news is going to be today. Because Gen Con is going down, right? Well, today's the last day of Gen Con. Yes. Right now, as we speak, it's wrapping up. People are probably selling things at discounted prices so they don't have to ship them back home. Uh, hopefully, if you were able to make it out to Gen Con, you had an amazing, lovely, wonderful time. However, not everybody did. Uh, we found out through Dicebreaker.com uh, in an article written by Matt Jarvis that almost $300,000 of collectible cards were stolen from Gen Con. And the police are still on the lookout for these guys. Uh, apparently, the the game that they stole has not been announced, but it has been verified that it is not uh, Ravensburger Lorcana, which that's a news story unto itself. There was so much news this week. It was an intense amount of 
release notes about every single little thing you could possibly want. Lorcana being one of the top ones because people were waiting in line for 16 hours overnight to get these cards. I saw some discussion that uh, there were people who had slept in line and then ended up actually losing like they were they were directed the wrong direction later and ended up getting shifted out of the line oh um it sounds like it sounds like there's there was a lot of uh i I was talking to um you know red raccoon uh correspondent yeah red raccoon correspondent ken um has been was one of the people helping do the learner games uh he was on the robinsberger team teaching the game and he said he had no issues because his group were the ones who were like people had you know pre-signed up with tickets, so the long line was I guess like a like will call kind of thing. Good luck, happy hunting. Good luck. Um, yeah, just wild. But I, I'm sorry, I, I cut you off there. I didn't know if you had more on. No, no, I was just going to go back to the fact that there was three hundred thousand dollars worth of I'm, cards being taken. I'm looking at this picture that uh, it looks like a. Indianapolis Municipal Police uh, show to this guy with the pallet jack. And it's so frustrating because I almost feel like I can make out what those labels on those cases look like, but they're, but not quite. They're just vague enough. Um, Which they might have left because I don't know if the company really wants to disclose they just lost $300,000 worth of right. uh, product. But basically the story seems to be that two guys dressed in something that looked somewhat professional uh, walked in there, took a pallet jack, grabbed a pallet worth of stuff, and just walked out with it. And nobody questioned them. I I do think it's funny. Um, I mentioned this earlier before we started, but uh, Lorcana's mentioned so many times in this article. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, later they updated said, yeah, we confirmed that there was no Lorcana in it. So I, I, before that, you can kind of make sense. But they, they mentioned Lorcana so many times in this article for the SEO. It's, it's hilarious. Yes. Um, but all in all, it, it's just interesting to me, and I think it's going to make for a very interesting next year's Gen Con. Yeah, I because mean, I, I mean, I've, I've been to Gen Con before, and this was pre-pandemic, so of course I'm sure things have changed since I've been there. But I never got the sense that it was really a high security situation. I this is very like the how of this is something I'm very curious because like. I don't know. I mean, that's a sealed palette. Like, this had to... I don't know how the vendor situation is at Gen Con, but from what I've seen, it seems like most... It had to be got somewhere in transit between, like, whatever, like, a trailer that, like, they had, you know, before it got to the booth. Because, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. But this is weird. This is very weird. You feel that, too, right? Like... and. $300,000, does this say if there was more than just the one pallet? Because I, I missed that part. I think they said they might have taken multiple pallets. Okay. Because, like, that's that's got to be multiple pallets. Unless it's all Commander Masters. No. <laughs> if, if that could very well all be Commander Masters. <laughs> Is that releasing at Gen Con this, um, this weekend? It released this Friday, this last Friday. So, so, so the new Magic possible. set. And, I mean, it's concentrated enough uh cost and value that that could be well we do know that while they might have gotten away with commander masters or whatever set they did 
uh, even if it wasn't magic, there's one card that they aren't going to get. And that's the One Ring, which we... The One One Ring. The One One Ring. The One One. Uh, which, from comicbook.com, Kristen Hoffer uh, gives us an article about how uh, Post Malone has purchased the One Ring. We did find out that a man in Canada is the one that unboxed it. He finally showed the verification video where his hand is literally shaking as he realizes he's the one. And, you know, as it has come out, as we were doing the hunt, and we've talked about it multiple times on the podcast, uh, pretty much everyone put out a bid, and Post Malone just kept on saying, whatever, they, whatever they're asking, I will, I will produce more. Do not worry. And I had no idea that he had actually been a serious collector in his new... Uh, life as a superstar because he's been he's bought a eight hundred thousand dollar black lotus mm-hmm. he actually has sponsored tournaments before with cash prizes i've seen stuff popping up with him like being uh, a figure in a lot of like uh, a lot of like magic events and stuff yeah so we aren't privy to how much money this really was but seeing how the card was estimated at nearly two million dollars we can assume that this is going to be life-changing money for this person who even yeah. said uh he he was quoted in basically saying you know i would have loved to be the person to keep this card but this will also drastically change oh, yeah. my future yeah and i can't pass up on that opportunity and i can't blame him for it. no totally um i'm i'm glad that it was a normal person that found it, and I'm not upset that it's a person like Post Malone that gets to keep it. Yeah, I mean, I saw people discussing it, and they were like, you know, I'm glad it's someone who is actually legitimately going to be happy having it, and not just some, like, you know, person who's buying it for, like, uh, you know, uh, speculating right. on it or whatever. Not some crypto bro who's yeah. like, I'm going to now build a whole entire series around this card. Right. And, like, like they did with the Dune book. Yeah. Like, my... Uh, I don't. I don't really listen to Post Malone, but from what I have seen, it seems like he's a pretty cool, cool guy. Like yeah. everything I've heard is that he's chill. He's nice. I've seen some really like sweet videos of him with animals, just being excited. He's really defining the face tattoo vibe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's cool. You know. Yeah, like you said, nice that it was an average person who found it, and a chill rich person paid yes. them a bunch of money for it. Um, and while we're talking about cards, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around to a lot of news articles jump, today. Jump, it's, jump, around. Exactly. Um, we, we got some word on what's coming next from Magic. Uh, they basically kind of gave us a rundown that we are supposed to be expecting a uh, Modern Horizons 3 is on the list. Uh, we are going to get a uh, Wild Wild West world. Uh, we will be returning to Ravnica, which apparently is going to also spin off into two new board games, a Ravnica version of Clue and a Ravnica Escape Room-like game. Um, and then the one that I was really excited to have you on the podcast to talk about, which is the Murders at... Uh, oh, wait, sorry. No, that's not what I was looking for. Murders at... Uh, I was about to reference Murders at... Oh, I just read it, and now I lost it, and that's making me look real professional. Murders at Karloff Manor, which is supposed to be the Ravnica version of Clue. So you're supposed to mm. somehow use the mechanics of magic somehow to mm. influence the world of Clue. They didn't give a lot of uh, explanation on that. But the one that I'm actually excited about is... Um, oh, now I've lost it again. 
Duskmorn, House of Horror. That's the one. Seeing how you're reading it, why don't you go ahead and tell us about it? So uh, the way they describe this, Duskmorn, House of Horror, is a set that takes place in a haunted mansion. Um, It's going to be in Halloween time when it comes out. And it says it derives inspiration from horror games, films, and other media from the 80s, um, portraying the golden age of slasher films, Cronenberg-style body horror, and cosmic horror cinema. Um, so this is very interesting. Uh, we were talking uh, about this a little before the podcast that magic is embracing more settings that are not traditional fantasy, right? Yes. I mean, for decades, magic focused on it's fantasy with this as the gimmick. Like it's fantasy, but it's samurai. It's fantasy, but it, there's a day night cycle thing. Um, it's fantasy, but hey, there's these guilds or whatever. There's still a core tenant of the, the it, fantasy yes. setting. And um, this would be, depending on how you define it, I, I could say it's the second horror themed setting or set, but like. One could say, you know, like, well, Phyrexia was pretty horror-themed. Is that a lot of body horror? It's true. Um, or maybe you would say, like, uh, um, I was just thinking about, like, Lorwyn and, like, uh, Eventide and all that. Mm. I can't think of what the nighttime ones are. I don't remember off the top anyway, of Anyway, but this is, you know, like, Innistrad is a plane that is very much gothic horror, and I think they did a good job with that. And this being more of, like, a modern 80s horror kind of thing is, one, going to be interesting. Two... They can do some really great things with the alt arts and stuff, mm-hmm. like having some like horror movie posters, having those like bright neon colors, make it look like a Dance with the Dead uh, album cover. Um, and what John pointed out was, it says takes place in a haunted mansion, and the ma- magic is really vague about like what a plane is, like if it's an expanding out plane that goes on forever, if it's a planet if it depends just don't think about it if you know if you can be on ravnica and actually walk like one direction and get back to where you were please let us know if there is lore that explains this in some way come on the discord and tell me about this i will mention you in the next podcast and speaking of hamish uh you were the one that put in the question for last week that we really enjoyed and i just wanted to make sure that your name got mentioned here so yeah there it is but yes write to us and tell us how does a plane work i asked ken one day and he went you know they just they don't it depends they don't really think talk about it a lot right um but i really like the idea that uh john suggested that this is just a plane that is an infinite haunted house mm-hmm. and you're, there's just infinite rooms connecting and um i think that sounds really neat i like that i like that idea a lot just you're constantly being um collected in to this awful awful world and it's all of these nightmares put together and a yeah. lot of my brain goes there because uh with D we have uh Ravenloft. Ravenloft, which is if the Van Richtenstein's guide to Ravenloft mm. is explained as this is a pocket dimension. All of where Ravenloft is is locked in basically a bubble. Yeah. And that's why if you ever try and leave, there's mists that prevent you because there was like a there's an otherworldly force that is basically creating these horror bubbles of reality. And I like the idea that maybe this house is in there as well. Speaking of mists and horror um, have you have you looked at any of the res or the um, Silent Hill two remake stuff? 
I am so excited about it. I have chosen not to. Fair. Um, I was thrown because I was looking at um, Hobby Link Japan for pre-orders for new stuff. I check that every week. And I saw a figurine of one of the bobblehead nurses. And the face looked really weird. It wasn't bandaged. It was like a mask or a weird fleshy face. Oh. And I was like, did I construct a memory of what this is supposed to look like? And so I went and looked it up, and they they redesigned the way that the nurse looks. Um, because it used to be vaguely like bandages, but also kind of like hard to tell how much of it's bandage, how much is flesh. It's whenever you have a band-aid on for so long that it kind of starts yeah, discoloring yeah. and stuff like that. That's how I always interpreted yeah. it. So like um it threw me off. The, the stuff for the new one looks good. This is this is an, a personal aesthetic distinction. Yeah, I like the classic nurse design more, but I like to hear what people think in the Discord. Yeah, please, come on. And should Pyramid Head be, I don't know, Rectangle Head? I'm just saying, if they're changing it, why not change it all? Remember when, remember when there was the Silent Hill movie where they treated Pyramid Head like a Pokemon? I, okay. I will say that considering they took the Silent Hill movie and took like two to three games and mixed them all together, I thought for what they did, they did a good job. In my opinion, at the time, it was the best video game movie that we had. That's damning with faint praise. <laughs> I understand this. But, 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 but just like the camera angles, they really gave you that yeah, PS2 so, era of like you walk into a new room, you have to yeah. relearn, reorient yourself. So are you thinking about the theatrical one or the second one? I think it was called Revelation. They both did it. So, okay. so the first Silent Hill movie was a combination of like one or two. Yeah. And I think some elements of three in there. It, it was very much like a general vibe kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The second one is the one that p- strongly pulls from three correct in ways, but also changes everything. And then makes it a part of one and two yeah. in a way that was never designed in the game. So, yes, it was. It's a weird con- conflux of all of these different uh, story elements. I kind of dig it, but I understand it's not everyone's cup of tea. I always, I like when people find enjoyment in things that most people deride. Yes. So I like that. Um, I think that the, so I was, I was talking with someone about Jacob's Ladder the other day, and I was like, Jacob's Ladder is um, like the best Silent Hill movie. Um, now, granted, Silent Hill was inspired partially by like Jacob's Ladder, right? So or a Bora situation. Yeah, but I mean, it really has that feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Silent Hill movies do this really like it, impressive job of aesthetically getting the style down, while the tone is completely alien to the source material. Like if you just look at stills or like, you know, short clips or whatever of the Silent Hill movies, you'll go, Oh wow, that looks like Silent Hill. But if you actually watch them, it's like, it looks like it, but it sounds different. Like, yeah, it's weird. But yeah, I mean, they use pyramid head to fight like a Pokemon in the second one. Yes. At the same time, If this was a Silent Hill podcast, we would have so much fun, but it's not. And I do want to go ahead and take a rough transition to finish this article because there is one more set that we did not mention, and that is in the second half of 2024, we're getting 
I want to be a cowboy, baby. Oh no, you're you're talking about uh, the one that we previously mentioned. It's actually called Outlaws of Thunder Junction. That's the cowboy themed one that I'm. So Did we mention it? We talked like I glazed. Over okay, it. I, I just thought we went straight to Modern Horizons. No, we're we're going now to Bloomborough, yeah. which is a cute and cozy world where humans don't exist at all, and instead populated by Redwall style fantasy animals. And they have a little bit of art for them, and they look absolutely adorable. Uh, it is a little raccoon that looks like he's casting a spell, and he looks vicious. And is that like a... I think that might be some sort of skeleton creature behind him. He looks yeah. amazing. It looks like, yeah, like a Dracolich or something. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the art they shared looks really cool. Um, it's interesting. I mean, they're obviously seeing, like, you know, the cute anthropomorphic animal uh vibe is very popular right now especially in gaming and um it'll be interesting to see how this one goes i think redwall is a good way for them to go for it to feel like magic still um and obviously like with the unsets and different things like squirrels are super popular cats Mm -hmm. are popular even regular sets so so here's the question i want to come at you as the worker of the board game of the game shop we have seen a lot of these theme decks, and these, this isn't even mentioning any of their secret layers that they'll come out mm. with or anything along those lines. And a lot of them are seem very much focused on creating new themes to introduce to new people, or, or other than the Modern mm. Horizons, which has been done before. And then also, I believe we're getting a crossover between Jurassic Park and the, um, I think it starts with an I, the, the dinosaur world in magic the gathering oh uh ixalan there we go or i think i i I always like to be like i think it's ishalan just to mess with people (laughs) that sounds right garan lagan as we were talking about earlier but i i'm wondering do you think that they're trying to appeal to more people or do you think that these are actually going to be focused on good gameplay because that's the argument we keep on getting into these new themes come out one out of every what four really hits the playing community as being excited about it. I mean, they're not mutually exclusive, and that's the that's been the thing though is that people are used to them being hit and miss, right? Yeah. Like the forty k decks, people who already played Magic were really like, mm, I don't know, are the cards going to be any good, or is it just going to be a gimmick? And then the cards ended up being good, and then they were you know gone. just gone. Um, Lord of the Rings, uh, from everything I hear, because I don't play Magic regularly, uh, it's it's a great set no matter which direction you're coming from it. Like, it has cards that are mechanically good. They're very flavorful. The art is gorgeous. It's, you know... And so they're getting a better track record for the things that are different also being good. They f- I guess they figured out, hey, we need to actually... As much as, as much as Wizards loves to say, well, not every product's for every player they do seem to be realizing we will sell these to the other players too as long as we make them good. Um, and within a like wave of commander decks or whatever, you usually have at least one that's kind of the dud, right? Mm-hmm. But like, um, I mean, even for Lord of the Rings, that kind of turned around because out the gate, fewer people pre-ordered the uh, Hobbit deck. And based on how Bilbo plays, I... That's a sentence. Based on how Bilbo <laughs> plays... Um, I 
thought that was because it looked like it was probably gimmicky and whatnot. And then people played it and went, oh, wow, no, this deck is disgusting. It does really, really rude things. Um, and it started to be more popular again. So we'll see. I mean, so far, they've been doing good catching people's interest with these things. I think, again, the, the tricky thing is they are focusing so heavily on commander because it is a very popular format and it is very popular for uh, for casual players but when you are learning it there's a bigger learning curve and like i had um a guy and his kid in the other day who were like hey we want to get into magic where do we start and i was like well you're gonna want some some basic 60 card starter decks i'd highly recommend doing that over commander i explained a little bit and he's like yeah it sounds like that's the way to go but there are so few offerings for that like there's basically currently i think like a couple products that are pre-built 60 card decks designed for beginners um whereas there's a plethora of commander starters and stuff on pre-cons it's not a bad thing to have them at all they're popular they sell um but i mean if nothing else uh wizards could bring back the demo decks that we used to get to give to people who hadn't played magic before wizards because i'm sure you listen to this podcast wizards is you know they're in the chat yeah, all yeah. the time wizards i know you 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 listen to this podcast every time we put an episode out so please uh bring back the 30 card um learn to play decks they were excellent and i know that we still have you know doctor who but i it doesn't seem like that long ago since we did actually go back to innistrad I believe, and it was not a good deck. It was a notoriously bad set altogether. And I guess I always kind of hear that in the back of my head, and maybe it hasn't actually been so... I mean, maybe that's been a while since I've really heard of talking about a bad deck around here. Yeah, and I mean... Bad set. set. Yeah, like, it depends. I mean, there are ones that are broadly received more poorly, and then, like, Sometimes, like, uh, Ventures of Forgotten Realms was broadly received kind of eh, but locally was really popular, and we did well with it. Hmm. Um, or, like, Innistrad kind of did better once Double Feature hit, I think, because it kind of took the best of the... A lot of people seem to have felt that the Innistrad um, Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt sets f- felt like they were really one set that was stretched into two releases. Hmm. Um Nuka Penna, a lot of people thought the flavor was really cool, but it floundered for one reason or another. Um, so, like, Kamigawa did well. I don't know. It's been, overall, it's been a good year or so, and uh, we'll just hope for the best. Maybe I just need to change my opinions, because I, I look at magic from a distance. I don't really get into it, and really, we talk about it mostly on this podcast, so... I just remember that being a thing, and then it's always been a question after question. And then, especially with all the news about the One Ring, it kind of overshadowed how many people were excited about just the set itself. And there's always the danger of common wisdom, right? Exactly. So speaking of things that um, sometimes need to be revamped a little bit or reworked to be better, we did get some news out of Gen Con about a very popular RPG that's not Dungeons & Dragons. We had to get our, at least one mention of it, of course, during it, the podcast. It's a cousin twice removed. Exactly. Welcome to Pathfinder, or more specifically, Starfinder, which is getting a second edition. Uh, we're looking at the Dicebreaker article by Alex Meehan, and basically it looks like, much like how Pathfinder went through its second rendition two years ago? No? 
Um, three? It, it was pre-pandemic. It was pre-pandemic. They're looking at their spacefaring brethren and saying, all right, it's your time. Yeah, this is interesting because I've been wondering how long they would wait to do this. Because uh, so Starfinder came out 2017, which is mm-hmm. six years ago now. Uh, doesn't feel like it because time is an illusion and it is broken for all of us. Flat but, circle, all that yeah. jazz. Um, but the thing about Starfinder, so, so for those who are less familiar, right? Um, Pathfinder itself is a variant of Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition, 3.5, right? Mm-hmm. When D&D moved to 4th Edition, Pathfinder beca- went, hey, we will continue to support this. We will revise the rules again to make it better. Some people called it 3.75. Um, and it became its own running guard, right? So you had a lot of people who were super dedicated to it. And then eventually it needed a 2nd Edition. And I don't envy Paizo being in that position because... Their entire business model was kind of built off of this basis of people who didn't want to change what game they played. Yep. But then still ended up buying a lot of books because Pat Paizo has a very aggressive release schedule for their products. They will always make sure you have new content. To give you an idea, Dungeons and Dragons 5e, I think we're into, we're past a five year mark with it, right? Um, 5e. Are we almost to 10? We're closer to 10. We're closer to 10. Uh, they have added one official class this whole entire time from the original base, and that was the... Artificer? Exactly. Artificer. Uh, art, art, yeah, at I, I, that time I was just like, oh, I'm going to say it different. I'm just going to make <laughs> You're just messing yeah. with me now. Um, but and, and they've added many subclasses mm-hmm. for some of the different roles, but not an actual new class. Well, and, and I think of 5e's release, 5e's release structure... I think was a very deliberate choice to distinguish themselves from Pathfinder. Yes, that's what because, I'm trying to get at. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I cut you off. And no, you're fine. Your, go with it. So, like, 5e, they, they're putting out more books now, but for a number of years, they were releasing, like, two hardcover books a year and no softcover pamphlets, none of that stuff. Um, as compared to, like, Paizo pulling this, you know, from thin air, but their release structure uh, was standardized where it would be, like, one hardcover every quarter, and then one like 128 page softback, um, once what like every other month, and then a 64 page every month. And you may not buy all these things, but like if you want to keep up, it's it is a lot, it is, but it also gives you a lot of flexibility. Yes. because I think there was over last time I checked with Pathfinder, the first edition, there was over 50 classes that you could mm-hmm. choose from, and multi classing was still allowed, so mm-hmm. you could make some wicked crazy oh, yeah. builds. Um, so whenever I heard Starfinder was coming out, I was actually really excited. I'm more of a sci-fi guy than a fantasy Same. guy. I'll, I'll love my fantasy till the dying day. Record of Lodos Wars, because we're talking anime right now, high up there for me. Always appreciated sci-fi more. So when I heard about Starfinder, I was like, okay. So I bought the book. I got into it. Mm-hmm. My, I was with my partner at the time, and we had uh, started just a two-person game, because I just wanted to get into the system. And I could not believe how limited it felt. It was so odd because in a game that opened up the galaxy, instead of just being stuck on a planet, you were open in the galaxy. There was only like four real classes and none of them were just like magic users Mm. except for like one that was really like you you chose between light and dark and that was it. And I was like, well, I guess there's going to be more supplemental books that will fill this in. And from what I saw, there were books that brought new alien species but not really 
too many classes from what I could see, and I kind of fell off because of mm-hmm. it. I was very excited when Starfinder came out. Um, once I actually got my hands on it and took a look at it, because initially I was like, mm, I'm burned out on Pathfinder. I don't really, you know. And then I got curious. I'm like, what have they changed? And what's the what's the theme like? And I played a one shot and I went, this is fun. Um, so, I, But I didn't get to play very much of it past that. And for me, the aggressive release structure is something that, like, if I fall behind on something, it's difficult for me to catch up. Yeah. Um, so at first it was relatively chill. And then it sped up to, like, normal piezo speed. The, so the thing about Starfinder is we really work our way around about it is um, Starfinder is set in the same universe as Pathfinder. Correct. Pathfinder being a... Uh, a dungeon punk fantasy, I think, is a good way to kind of put it. Like, it's got some high fantasy stuff. It's got a lot of different vibes. Yeah, you can do a lot There's of things. There's guns in, in it. Yeah. Like. Um, and Starfinder is space opera, space fantasy, in that same setting, but an unknown amount of time in the future. Like in universe, there is this gap where uh, no one knows how much time has passed because there's lapses in memory and record the long-lived species are like we don't remember things they've got some big o style amnesia going on um and there are physical like records on paper and computers that are glitched up and inconsistent with each other and the actual planet that pathfinder takes place on galarian is no longer in the universe yeah it's just poofed and there's a space station in its place yes and so there's some really interesting existential mysteries at the core of the setting. They take a lot of the races that existed in Pathfinder and then a bunch of new ones and they make them spacey. They make them spacey, but they do really neat things like here's a plant like in the solar system, here's a planet that is run by liches and their whole society is based around that. And like there's a lot of neat stuff where they do some very cool sci-fi world building. Yes. Um concept-wise fantastic. Yeah. And like they they retweaked the system to where it is still it's still very similar. It's like a it's like a Pathfinder 1.5. They did a lot of testing out some new ideas. It's still closer to Pathfinder 1 than 2, but they went, "Okay, let's rework this to where ranged combat is a given." Right? Cuz most people have ranged weapons. You're going to have guns. Um and then they reworked the the classes, and they did some things with, like, equipment and things to give you – the build structure is different. And I like that because it felt, it felt like you would have more options than you kind of do leveling up in, like, you know, 5e or Pathfinder. Um, and I did like that the caster classes or pseudo-caster classes, none of them have prepared spells. They just got rid of that entirely. Yep. Um, so and, – and they had a – they have a um, – they have a god that is uh, an ascended AI, and they have a goddess of piracy. And I was like, that's amazing. I love that. I'm so... And then they had, like, a bunch of the deities from Pathfinder had updates. And, like, some of them had changed, like, what their domain was uh, drastically. Um, there's really cool lore in there. So, but I was always wondering, when was pa- Starfinder going to get a second edition? Because it was in this awkward middle ground where it's still evolved more than first edition pathfinder but it's not the total overhaul that pf2e is and, and in the article they have not given us any actual knowledge of how things are going to change in the second edition the only thing they've really mentioned is it is now going to be fully compatible with pathfinder second edition so if you build something in one it should mm. be easily accessible in the other so that might be kind of more of the direction they're going as far as this update and that's cool yes. i mean i have not played second edition pathfinder myself um anyone who's talked to me about rpgs 
will uh, quickly know that the D&D-esque gameplay is not my preferred vibe. I'll play it when it's what my friends are playing, and occasionally I'll get an itch for it, but I like playing other systems. Um, I had my fill of Pathfinder because it was what was available that a lot of my friends were running for like a decade, and I was like, I'm good. Starfinder intrigues me enough as a setting, and Pathfinder 2nd Edition, from what I have heard, as people a lot of people fell off initially, but now they're really coming around, especially when like... Uh, all the stuff with um, the uh, the open gaming license earlier this year and stuff. A lot of people went over to Pathfinder and were like, let's take a look at this again. And I'm hearing more people discuss what they like or don't like about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And things like its action economy, I find very interesting. Yep. I'm intrigued by that. It's different enough that I would totally give it a go. Um, Starfinder 2nd Edition is the thing that would get me to do that for sure. I can totally understand that. So we'll be looking forward for new news about that very, very soon. But sadly, um, I'm going to have to bring us back to cards. Because there's one last thing that I want to talk about. And because it's you and me, we got to end on an anime note. And it's actually about a game that you got me somewhat interested in. I went way heavy into. And now that I'm hearing more content is out there for Mm -hmm. it, I'm beginning to feel the itch again. Yeah. Uh, And that is that Universe's collectible card game series is now going to be adding Trigun Stampede to their roster, as well as doing a reprint of their Cowboy Bebop roster to add to their, I don't know, is it popular? The My Hero Academia card game. So, um, for those who need a refresh or aren't familiar, um, My Hero Academia, Jasco's been making a card game for it for uh, four or five sets now. Um, and it is the same game that if you've been around for a while, you might remember the Universal Fighting System or UFS, which has been around for over uh, close to two decades. Mm-hmm. Over 15 years. Street Fighter was in there yeah. a bit, right? So, I mean, so it's a system that was designed to emulate 2D fighting games like Street Fighter, King of Fighters, Soul Calibur, um, uh, all those kinds of things, right? And it's passed through a number of hands over the years. And Jasco's had it for quite a while. And they um, they had dipped their toes into doing anime instead of just video games uh, previously with a Cowboy Bebop set. And then when they got My Hero Academia, they rebranded it from UFS to Universes. And it looks like now they are rebranding Jasco to UVS Games, which feels like it's supposed to be uh, simplifying things, but also just feels a little bit like confusing. Um, just settle on something, yeah. right? right? Now, I will say, so here's the thing. Um, this is the same game that's been around. They have cleaned up things to make it easier to learn and just having like a little bit better card layout. Uh, but mechanically is pretty much the same game. Um, balance wise playing with old cards and new cards probably wouldn't be great, but, uh, now when you say old cards, are you saying the first series of like my hero academia set, or are you saying, Oh, you go all the way back to street? Yeah. Like if I dug out some of my like soul caliber three or like street fighter, dark path cards, they're probably going to play really wonky with my hero. You technically could do it. Uh, but I mean, Dark, uh, Street Fighter Dark Path had weird balance problems just playing with like a car- set from a couple of years later. Like they and they they intentionally they had very strong like here's this wave and you know power curve stuff like that. It is a game that and this was something I was skeptical about when it was announced that the My Hero card game was gonna be universes. 
is it was always branded as a game that's for advanced um, CCG players. Like if you already played Magic or whatever, um, and you wanted something more involved with more nuance, that's what they were aiming for. Not an easy game to learn, especially in its older edition. Um, so I was skeptical. My Hero, they did some really smart things with like the starter decks. They trimmed back a bunch of unnecessary or a bunch of the more weird uh, keywords and stuff that exist in the game technically, but they went, let's hold off on those for now. Mm. It's still not, un- it's, you know, you're not, I would say it's a jump if you're like going from like Pokemon to this. There's a learning curve, but I do think that it plays differently enough that legitimately this is a game I've enjoyed for a long time. I agree. I, I went, we got all the sets that I could. Uh, I think I have like a near complete first run nice. uh, of the, the first set of My Hero. And the idea of it having like high attacks, mid attacks, mm-hmm. low attacks to bring that kind of fighting game element yeah. into your card play is a very different way to approach that. Yes. And I do like how the kind of the board is laid out as well. Yeah, doing the um, combo building. And- exactly. The combo building, I think, is one of the most um, alluring parts of this game because you really feel like... I, I always like having the edge mm-hmm. in a game. Whether it's an RPG, whether it's a, a board game, I like having the character that might not be super powerful, but there's an edge to it. And that is what I feel, not in Magic, but in this game, is that, ooh, if I just bide my time, I take a few hits, I can pull out this amazing combo and I can really have an edge on him. Even if I yeah. don't win, I'm going to feel satisfied that I pulled off this card combo. Yeah. That is what I really enjoy. Absolutely. It. So if any of that sounds intriguing, uh, we do have a group who plays My Hero slash Universes. Um, I believe it's every Wednesday here at the store. Great group of folks and they are more than happy to teach new people. Um, and we, still, we have demo decks that are uh, loanable uh, at the counter too. Uh, now, they announced that they're going to m- do some other anime. And this is interesting because I, I asked them at uh, the people who were at the Jasco booth when we were at AC Game Days. I'm like, anything you t- can tell me about what's happening after the next My Hero set? I think six. I want to say they did six. And they're like, I can't tell you right now. We'll announce something. Like, we are doing another set of something. And now it ends up that that is they're going to be doing Trigun Stampede. And they're also, it's unclear to me here if it's a new Cowboy Bebop set or a, a reprint of the pre-existing Cowboy Bebop set. I'm wondering now that you've had your conversation, we talked about this a little before the podcast, if they're doing a reprint, but it's going to change the cards in a way so they fit better into right. the new world. Because then that could also lead to, let's bring Street Fighter back. Let's bring Soul Calibur back. Yeah. I mean, if they did a reprint, there would at least be the slightly updated card frames and standardized look. The card backs would look different because the card backs now say universes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be interesting. I mean, so this reminded me just that uh, I still haven't watched Trigon Stampede. And I really need to. It's not bad. Um, my my friends, uh, Tony and Sean, are both really big Trigon fans. Tony in particular is like, the I'd say, the number one person I know who I'm like, when Tony said, I really like Stampede, you should watch this. I all my skepticism went out the window because like coming in, I was very I had some was it studio three three degree four degree I can't remember exactly three degrees Celsius out my head the studio who did it they do um you know the three D CGI style anime mm-hmm. um the the one that they were really well known for before this was uh, B Stars yes and very popular on Netflix with yeah. a very select group of people yeah. <laughs> I and I was very skeptical because. I didn't know that that was going to add anything to Trigun. Um, but 
from what I've seen, they've reinvented it. It's not an it's not like the old anime. It's not a more straight adaptation of the manga. It's its own thing. It is. Which, like Douglas Adams said about Hitchhiker, why are you gonna take the same story two times, right? Have it different. Um I'm looking forward to checking it out once I once I get around to it. I gotta still finish Witch for Mercury. Um I will tell you that the the 3D animation makes his flailing around feel so much less goofy and more of a not that he's doing it on purpose Mm. but that he's using his momentum in more of a way than what you got to see in the traditional two okay so for example there's one episode of course where it's it's the first episode a little bit of spoilers jump ahead like three minutes i'll get through this pretty fast uh he pulls out his gun tries to shoot a guy he doesn't have a bullet someone throws him a bullet and then he begins to chase after the bullet and you get to see him kind of flailing and okay. grabbing for it. So back in the day, it would have been kind of this right. two still animation. Yeah. Like, huh, ooh, huh, and you actually get to see his body in motion and how smooth it is when he finally gets that bullet, puts it in his gun, aims it upwards, fires at the the con the the issue yeah. at hand, and it it gives a different feel to okay. the action. That's there. Very cool. I can I can I can see what you mean there. Yeah. It's almost a little bit like a drunken master kind of exactly uh, vibe there. that sort of energy okay. is brought into. Very it. cool. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I think that will be cool. Um, and then the Cowboy Bebop set that'll be cool as well. I'm sure. Um, it's a good game. I like it, and I like seeing it. I mean, we the the group has been playing the My Hero era of it has been very consistent throughout its entire run. And I'm hoping that they uh, they all stick on. I think I think that they're into as long as they're interested in the property at all. And that's always the difficulty with licensed games, right? Like, Weiss Schwartz uh, mechanically is a really cool uh, card game. I finally got to try it last year, and I just but I kept waiting for a like a set based on a property I was interested in because it's such a varied. Like, have you watched the show this is from? Then unless you're really into the game, you're not gonna buy it, right? I am making some poor life choices um, <laughs> because White Schwartz has a Guilty Gear set coming oh. out in in December, and I love Guilty Gear. At Gen Con, they announced a Guilty Gear board game, and I almost threw it in the news for you today. Yeah, so I saw that it. right after I put in those pre-orders. Um, I'm going to want it, too. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I love Guilty Gear. Um, now, Jesse... All of these things are really great and very hyper anime focused because it's just going to be you and me today. And like you said, when the cat's away, the mice will play. But the mice are big old weebs. Big old weeb mice. However, because we can't get a hold of those things today, I want to talk about things we can get a hold of. And that is the things on the new hotness. So, uh, looking at uh, what has been put up there lately, the first thing I just have to announce, because it's absolutely adorable is uh, Squishables new bear bees because they I are bears. They're cats. Are they cats? I thought they were they bears. They got little whiskers. They're cat They're bees. They're cat bees. Yeah. They are cat bees. So I think this comes from a, a new open, like people can submit designs. Uh, the open squish thing, yeah. Correct. And they're getting their, their uh, creatures made into stuffed yeah. animals. Now I'll say, still waiting on my, my Griffey Red Raccoon plush. We yeah, have the one. I'm not sure where the that is in 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 the the pipe. Fair, but this cat bee is amazing, incredibly cute, and just perfect for anybody's collection. 
need to just point that out. Always we'll be talking about squishables. Uh, whenever I work in the store, I can just immediately tell the squishable people and I send them exactly the, the way that we're going and try and tell them all the amazing things that Jamie has talked about on the podcast and working with them. Um, another big thing that I want to put out there is that we have our Owlbear Cares Pride uh, thermoses, water uh, bottles, water bottle. I'm not sure if they're insulated in a way that one would. I guess the, you know, is is thermos a brand? I or, don't know. Or is anymore. that is that like Band Aid? I don't know. So I just realized I feel like there's a thermos logo, but I would like yeah, insulated. It's an insulated vessel. cup of some sort yeah. that you can put things in. Um, but yeah, they're they're water they're water jugs at, at a minimum, uh, and there's also some cups. Correct. Uh, yeah. And uh, this is designed by our very own Ryan. Yes. Uh, their art is what's on display, and it's it's a subtle pride flag, but it is there. And once you know, it's kind of beautiful to see. Yeah, it's it's. I really like that design a lot. We have the shirts in still, and the great thing is that the shirt. The design really sparks in different ways on each color of shirt. So there's the black, and that makes the colors pop immensely. There's the gray that really brings out the outline yeah. that is going on. And then the pink just adds this really interesting flair to all of the colors yeah. as if it offsets them a little bit, Yeah, um, which is really fun. I did also see that there's Exploding Kettens Good versus Evil, um, which they're already putting on there soon to be a Netflix TV show <laughs> sticker because... Netflix takes everything. Uh, is there anything that's been catching you? Um, I don't think we talked about this last time. We have Fantasy Age Second Edition, and uh, so Fantasy Age has been around for a minute. Um, if anyone has played the Dragon Age tabletop RPG, uh, Fantasy Age is essentially that system, but um, made into a non. Uh, they took out the Dragon Age IP stuff, and it's like here's a general fantasy system for you. Um, I like it. It plays very similar to something like 5th edition D&D, but specifically with uh, theater of the mind and a cinematic style um, in mind. Uh, you only have three classes, just basically like a fighter, a mage, and a, um, a thief or an assassin. Mm. And uh, it's a 3D6 system. So same general idea as like a d20 system in D&D, but it's 3d6 which gives you a normal curve for probability and uh if you roll dupes then the third die which is a different color um tells you how many points you get to spend on stunts which is its version of crits so it just gives you kind of some flair there it's fun they got a second edition that just is like hey we learned a lot of stuff and rebalance some things but the core very similar and it's got some little pop-outs for like hey if you played the first edition here's what's different um so that's really cool. You should check that out if you like RPGs. And uh, I think we, we talked before about um, Lost Species. Uh, we got some more blind boxes. And I haven't played Casting Shadows, but that's a new one from the Tea Turtle people, and that looks great. So one thing I really wanted to talk about, uh, because I'm a huge Uber fan... Uh, and just received warning that actually Jesse has a story to tell. Uh, but James D'Amato, one of my favorite podcasters, he runs the One Shot Network up in Chicago. Uh, he uh, gets to play all of these different games on his podcast, and he absolutely does a fantastic job. And he takes all of that knowledge and has put it into a fantastic book series called The Ultimate RPG Guides for character backstory, for uh, being a dungeon master. They are some of the most comprehensive books on 
not how to play RPGs, but how to develop cohesion within your group, how to make players interact with each other or be more invested in what they're building instead of just focusing on the rules and the action, focusing on the role play. And as an improviser, he does a great job with that. And I saw this card deck on the new hotness and I didn't even know it was coming out. And then Jesse told me just recently, he actually got to meet James and talk about this game. So um, the uh, ultimate RPG gameplay guide in particular is one that I recommend to anyone who I'm talking to about RPGs, especially if they're new, at double especially if they're like going to be uh, the the GM for you know their friends. It's like a field manual, super easy to read, only 15 bucks, and it doesn't talk about specifically like here's how you do D and D. It's here is collaborative storytelling tips and things like how to do your session zero well, how to resolve player conflict at the table, how to do improv uh, better. And so super good, super helpful, no matter what game you're playing. Um, I was fortunate enough that when Alexis and I went to the AC Game Days trade show in May, um, the uh, publishing company that puts out those books had a booth. And I realized as I was looking at stuff that James was behind the booth. And also the two folks who do um, the System Mastery podcast, which is also a lot of fun. They've worked on some of the books in that series. And I can't remember their names right now because I'm terrible at names. Um, But I was like, James, oh, wow, I love your podcast. And also I love your book. And can we get a picture? And and one of the guys from System Mastery took our picture, and that was awesome. And I I geeked out. And then later on, either that night or the next night, they, they have a demo night where you get to try a whole bunch of games. And James was demoing the new Campfire deck, the Ultimate RPG Campfire deck. So Alexis and I sat down with another um, store owner and uh, James, and we all got kind of like some really simple like character, high concept um, sort of cues that he had ready, like simple character sheets. And we did a few rounds with this deck, and it's super cool. So the deck is subdivided down into kind of categories, like things about your past, things about your future, things about what you're doing right now, aspirations, um, hypothetical situations, a lot of different topics. And you can take a card and then either like play it to have someone else, like it's a prompt of, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, Like what's the thing that uh, turned you around in your past? Or uh, when you finally... I'm thinking of super generic things. The prompts right. are better than this. But when you get your revenge, what yeah, when will you, you get, do? Exactly. When this when this is all over, where are you gonna settle down? Um and uh we had a lot of fun just improving and having conversation. And it's like these are you know, it's all prompts for the conversations you would have around the campfire to flesh out those characterizations and the interactions between your players or between your characters. Um James mentioned that during the pandemic he was feeling like it was harder to communicate with his spouse because at the end of the day, they were both so just drained mentally that they wanted to talk, but they kept just having trouble getting conversation started, right? Thinking about what to talk about. So his therapist was like, well, get conversation cue card decks. They, they sell those and they're great. Then you don't have to think about it and you can just go. And he got a couple. And when these are terrible, <laughs> they, uh, they're, they're supposed to help you build a relationship, but it really feels like they're going to start fights. And then that clicked, and he went, but you know where that would be okay <laughs> in an RPG? That checks so, out. Yeah. That checks out. And, like, it's neat because even, like, the hypotheticals are fun. You don't normally think about, like, everyday person conversations for your RPG characters. But it's, like, hypothetical. What would, If you were an evil overlord, 
Like, how would you build your lair? Just, you know, stuff yeah. like that, right? Um, very cool. I was super excited to get it in. And uh, it's here now. And you should definitely pick it up. Uh, one other game I think we talked about last week uh, on the new Hotness, or last podcast, but I want to bring up again because it has something to do with our super secret information that I promised at the beginning of the episode is The Search for Lost Species, which is a follow-up to The Search for Planet X, a game that I whip Jamie mercilessly at every time we play. However, I'm bringing this up because Ben Rossett is actually going to be joining us on the next podcast. Yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about Gen Con, but I also want to spend some extra time with him talking about game development, Uh, especially after cracking open Lost Species and seeing how they're really trying to be sustainable in the way that they produce games and the components that are inside of them and just get more of an insight into his gameplay uh, development. And I know I have a ton of questions, but I thought it might be more fun if we heard from you, the listener. So you can always email us at info at rhetoricgames.com. Put podcast in the title. We'll know to look for it. But if you want to, I'm going to put a form in the description notes of this podcast. And you can actually click that link, go to the form, and fill in your questions there as well. And if you want to put your name in, that's great. If you don't, that's fine, and we don't need to collect those. But I will give you a shout-out on the podcast if you do when I ask your question. But yeah, we're going to be spending some time with him and actually kind of delving a little deeper into a local developer's mindset and history and how he got to where he is now. Yeah, I uh, I haven't gotten to play either of the Search games yet, but um, a couple of Ben's older games are like Between Two Cities and Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and I really like both of those. Um, Between Two Cities is a great game that plays like I think up to seven or eight people. Like it's a ridiculous number, and because it's simultaneously simultaneous play, it doesn't take for forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig takes two different tile laying games, mashes them together. And makes an experience that is distinct from both of them in um, a really cool way. So super, super interesting brain on that guy. So yeah. that's going to be a really good. Uh, that's going to be a good episode. I'm, I'm hoping for it. So what are some reasons that people might want to come in and check out these games? So um, they're awesome. It's <laughs> a good good answer. Uh, we're also getting new things in every day. Um, so like. If you ever, if you think we only ever get new stuff in when you see like our live videos or you listen to podcasts and hear us talk about stuff, lies. Yeah, um, we used to try to do a live video any given day. We get new stuff in. We just haven't been able to anymore. I'm not even able to do it when we get new gunpla in. Um, so and you know, Jamie. I mean, Jesse. He wants to talk about all the gunpla. Yeah. And and those are always extra fun because, <laughs> um, I got some feedback on uh, uh the last one that we did because I kind of. I kind of, I kind of got a little loopy um, partway through. My brain was not working at all. I couldn't remember what the mechs were calling Gurren I like, I was like, "What are they?" And someone was in the chat. I was like, "They're gunmen." I'm like, "Of course," but like, I, I was just having a breakdown, um, but a fun one. So if you want to see me lose my head and it, my brain leak out my ears, watch live videos. But, but the point is, we're always getting new things in, and so you should come and check that out. Also, um, we. Had a post to go out, I'm pretty darn sure. Okay. And if not, oops. This is being launched Monday, so you, you oh, have a chance to well, fill this out. Sure as heck should be. Um Lorcana. So because Jamie put a post out explaining 
that due to the extremely limited amount of Lorcana that we are receiving in, uh, Lorcana being the new collectible card game from uh, Disney, from Disney, from Ravensburger, and it's all Disney properties. Um, we are for this first wave of product. It is all going to organized play. Um, we aren't fulfilling any of the uh, hypothetical, the, the wish list pre-orders as they were that we we took um, numbers on. Um, instead, we're we're contacting folks uh, who did do so to give them an opportunity to sign up, and then we're going to have uh, learn to play events, and those will be open to general public, uh, just people who had said, "Hey, uh, I want to get in on this." We're doing the courtesy thing and saying, "Hey." You, we'll give you an opportunity to sign up first, right? Because you said, I'm in. Um, but we're going to run three learn-to-play events. I believe that there are 20 or 24 seats each. Those are going to go live, um, I believe, later this week. Okay. Uh, keep an eye on vague, Facebook. Vague, vague. Yeah, sure keep an eye on Facebook. Um, but basically, we're going to run three learn-to-play events. Someone may participate in one. You'll get a deck for participating it'll be chosen at random just to keep it as fair as possible and then we are going to do weekly organized play um i believe open play and tournaments uh through the three months until the next set comes out and that will be how people can get um, booster packs for coming out participating just like we currently do for uh, digimon and one piece and also we'll have the opportunity for people to win some of the other cool stuff that we um like the I forget what they call it, but there's a thing that's like a magic bundle or an elite trainer box or Pokemon for Lorcana. Uh, there are some really cool play mats, and those are so limited that we were like, how do we do this fairly? And we're like, we'll put it all here. Now, it, it's explained in that post, but if you haven't seen the post and you're wondering, why are you doing it all as organized play? I don't understand. Um, we have had very reliable sources tell us that Robinsberger wants stores to be running this as organized play and supporting there being a community for people to play with. And because of that, um, stores are going to receive the their product for the second set based on how they report in doing organized play. In other words, stores that who just sell it all and don't run any events from what we understand, are likely to see far less product than stores who really put effort into building and engaging a community around the game so that people have a community to play with. And this is somewhat similar to what Magic has done. I think in a long off podcast, we talked a little bit about how Magic has all these kind of different hurdles you have to jump through to get certain items and certain uh, order prices and things along those yeah. lines. So Robinsberger is taking kind of that consideration. And, and as you, wanting to get the game to as many people as possible... You, this is your way of seeing the best way to get it done. Yeah, it was something we spent a lot of time deliberating on, and uh, we felt this was the best way to go about it. Um, and and there are other games that have done this as well, right? Like uh, Flesh and Blood is another good example. They really prioritized the stores who are uh, doing organized play. Um, Shout out to my friend uh, Jason, who has been talking to me about Flesh and Blood for almost a year now, and apparently it's going to go PVE here soon as oh, well. interesting. There's going to be more of a cooperative element coming. That's cool. So we'll That's see if there's a resurgence in that in yeah. the Red Raccoon community. I know that Chance has still been playing uh, Flesh and Blood. Um, I think he's, uh, he said Zeke's has been running Flesh and Blood, so shout out to our friends over at Zeke's. Um, and uh, we currently have uh, don't have an active Flesh and Blood community, but 
we could always look at that again if people were interested. We'll it looks like a neat game, as we've established. I like weird card games. I'm always down for trying something. For the first time, I saw an actual commercial for their next set on IGN, huh. which was not a sponsored post from what I could tell. So it might be getting a little bit more traction than what we're seeing in the, right the local on. market here. So, yeah, that's uh, we're going to have those Lorcani events coming up. We've got a bunch of other stuff coming up. Um, always check the calendar. Always check the calendar. Uh, I was working during um, the Pride yeah. last week, which was a ton of fun. If you came out for Pride, thank you so much because you just bring an energy to the side of town that is amazing. Yeah. And uh, I got a duck bracelet. For those of you that follow me on Facebook, you probably saw that. And I... Uh, was able to put out all of our really cool, uh, very affirming, like... All the Pride merch. All the Pride merch, uh, for sure, out. But I completely forgot where I was going with this. Something about events? Calendar? Oh, right. So I was able to tell people about uh, Gamers Night, Mm -hmm. which is held once a month, correct? It's typically... It's supposed to be the third Saturday evening of the month we've had it rescheduled a couple times recently due to like the move and other major events and things like that but normally third saturday of the month but always looking at the calendar makes it good yes and with the the new edition of warhammer Mm -hmm. there's the community there that you can come and see check the calendar there's so much going on i just had to say check the calendar over and over (laughs) and over again during pride to people oh and uh this this coming out uh monday yes tuesday is build night it's the third tuesday so come out uh tuesday night six o'clock six to ten oh wait on the 15th next tuesday next tuesday next tuesday see check the calendar don't don't listen to jesse don't trust jesse check the calendar um but the 15th is going to be build night and uh that's going to be a great time build some plastic robots if you just robot curious come out and take a look and (laughs) robo curious robo curious we do not have a an alignment flag for that we need to find that one and that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> we're, we're drawing a line there. That's fine. Um, so as we have been, we're trying now in the podcast with some other geek recommendations, things outside of maybe the store that we definitely think people should be t- paying attention to from the past, present, or possibly coming in the future. I'm going to go ahead and say this is going to – I'm going to do mine. This is going to be a multi-part series because mm. I want to talk about one of my favorite authors, Simon R. Green, a UK author who built the first, I don't want to say cinematic universe because it was only in books, but he built a universe where all of his stories are connected. Mm. And in his series, you have sci-fi, you have fantasy, you have modern day magic, and all of these books contained in the same universe. So the more that you read, the more references you get. So we'll start today with the modern day book series that got me started, and that is the Nightside series. Uh, it is a book series about a underground version of London where it is always night, and you follow the story of Detective uh, John. Oh, how am I forgetting this? I I did research on this beforehand. Um, hang on one second. It's something so generic. I'm going to feel so silly whenever I find John Taylor, of course, simple name, John Taylor, who has the ability to find anything as long as he's within the night side. If it's in this night side, he can find it. He can open up his third eye. However, anytime he does that, 
It elicits an attack from unknown enemies that have chased him since he was a child. And in a world where gods and demons and everything in between all exist within the night side, the enemies that come after him are more macabre, more dangerous, and more vile than you could ever understand. And you follow his adventures through about 12 to 13 books of him coming back to the night side after being shot in the back by his lover and following his PI adventures as he reestablished himself in the night side, finds out why he's been chased after since he's been a child, and also understand the reason why the night side even exists. So this is the starting where I got started into his universe. Every week I will tell you a new uh, kind of genre that he talks about and the book series that within it. But this week it is going to be, check out Something from the Night Side is the first book by Simon R. Green absolutely fantastic i i don't think that i had heard of this author before he's he, he, he was, is prolific i'm just looking and he has like his bibliography page on wikipedia has one two three four five six seven eight nine different series listed yes. and all but like one or two of them have over 10 books in them and they all sound like interesting settings they are all connected in some way shape or form some more tangentially than others but he has a way of it's very similar to john skrasinski's who did um john dies at the end this Mm. book is full of spiders kind of that comedy horror element to it that i absolutely enjoy anything that you read is going to be a little bit twisted and dark and i enjoy that so much Jesse, what are you going to recommend to our listeners this week? Hmm. Wow, that's uh, I had some really basic like what I've been watching on TV thoughts, but you you, you had something so much more so much. Better I'm sorry than that. to challenge you. you wow. can t- what have you been watching on TV? Go ahead and tell us what have you been. You know, uh, okay, so I'll give you what I've been watching on TV, and then um. I'll give you I'll give you something to ponder. Okay. A riddle, if you will. Oh, this is dangerous. Um, what I've been watching is I finally I didn't mention this last podcast, I don't think. I finally started watching Venture Brothers in and earnest. You did not, no. So, um, yeah. Uh new movie just came out. Finally the end stone for a very long series of, yeah. that was unrightfully canceled. I mean and usually it's like, well, it's a long-running show. And it's like, yeah, but it's it's been on for like 15 years, but only has like, I think, like six seasons or something like that because uh, there were long periods of time between them. I've had friends trying to get me to watch it for forever, and finally one of them succeeded, um, and uh, it's a great time. Uh, having a lot of fun. I went in hearing that the first season was going to be pretty shaky, but it sets up a lot of callbacks that come back later that you might think are inconsequential. I like that kind of thing. But honestly, it's been a good time. Like, it very quickly starts to find its feet with its its writing and everything. So um, if you've slept on it and you like uh, any kind of nerdy media, really, like pulp stories, it, it, the, the beginning feels very much like a Johnny Quest kind of parody. But It like, absolutely It is. grows past that immediately. It does that, but it also does broader pulp. It does superheroes. It's really really just drenched in like 1960s and 70s pop culture stuff um we just watched a episode that is essentially what if what if a scooby-doo episode 
but almost immediately the main villain of the episode becomes the protagonist. Um, <laughs> and the very beginning of it is just a scene that's the lyrics to Space Oddity by uh, David Bowie. At Like, that's the dialogue of the scene. Um, it's it's great. I've been having a good time. Thanks, Madison. My, um, my favorite element of the show is the fact that it is written by someone named Doc Hammer. Yes. Who looks like he should be a character in the show. Yes. Like his his outward appearance fits the vibe of the show completely and that's why I think the show is so good. And there's 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 something to be said for people who like have that kind of a vibe and it doesn't feel put on. It just right. feels natural for them. That's definitely one of them. Um and yeah, for like for an idea of the style of it, like for anyone for the small group of people who actually have like read or watched The Tick. Um, the one person who's written an episode for the show besides Doc Hammer or Jackson Public, the two creators, is the original author of the Tick comics. Oh, that's fantastic. They're really close friends, and uh, they, they let him write an episode. Um, okay. But, Riddle, yeah. Riddle time? Yeah, Riddle time. Oh, also, acknowledgement to Sean, because so Sean is the person who's been trying for a decade to get me to actually watch his show. Um, sappy, it's finally happening. So, uh, <laughs> Riddle time. Um John, did you ever listen to the band AFI? Um, was that did they do the Annie? Are you okay? No, that's Alien Ant Farm. Okay, I always confuse <laughs> the two of them for some reason. AFI did um, the Leaving Song uh, Part Two and uh, Love Like Winter, Miss Murder. Um, those are kind of their most popular. Sounding songs. vaguely familiar, but I know the name, so yeah. I'm, I'm willing um, to go along with this. So, one of my favorite bands. Um, and their vibe is like punk, goth, like alt kind of kind of a thing, depending on the era. Um, I realized something. So, so the lead singer, Davey Havoc, um, he has a very like high pitched kind of like. It, I'm not going to imitate it on the podcast because I'm gonna I'm gonna peek out the the, the mic if I do it. Um, but he has a very distinctive way of singing, and. Um, I want to say that if you look up the song, I want to say the song Wester from uh, the Art of Drowning album, um, you're going to get a really good example of these these high high sounds. But also, like, just pick an AFI song that came out in the 2000s. Uh, anything off Sing the Sorrow. Um, he does a lot of these high-pitched, like, oh, kind of noises, right? And, and I was listening to, uh, um, like, YouTube radio the other day, and a song I hadn't heard in a while came on, which was... Matthew Wilder's Break My Stride, which is a song I really like. It's mm-hmm. fun, right? It's fun. It's jaunty. Matthew Wilder does the same thing. And it was just a moment where I went, Davey Havoc just sings like Matthew Wilder. Like, there's a lot of overlap in their singing styles. And I don't know how conscious or intentional that is, but it was just a realization that, like, stuck with me. And there's, like, no significance to it. It's not, like, anything that, like, means anything but it's it's kind of weird it absolutely makes sense because we're seeing that now that really we're entering the end of our time wheel it's got to restart here soon because we have olivia rodriguez who's now being claimed that you know a lot of her songs sound like paramore we're just running out of ideas we've got to hit the reset button here pretty soon i don't know who an olivia rodriguez is She's a very sad girl with yeah. a lot of sad problems that she sings about, and it makes you like want to take care of her because she goes through a lot. Okay, it's, it's bad stuff. Okay, and 
then she sings about it and sounds a lot like Paramore. So much so that Paramore like makes comments about it at their concerts. Hilarious. So, yeah. I liked early Paramore. I I got less into it when it started to become more like acoustic-y. That's fair. I'm ready for a resurgence of because uh, we need to see the next. Um, Av- uh, who sings Skater Boy? Avril Lavigne. Thank you. Um, I think I was thinking of the other Levine. Adam, Adam yeah, it just mixes in with my head now. Uh, but yeah, we're ready for let's let's get some more ties on people that don't need to be wearing ties with the shirts that they have, and that's it's time for that. My, the 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 mid late two thousands emo aesthetic is coming around as like a thing that much as the way that when I was a youth we borrowed from styles from the eighties, the 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 Gen Z are are dressing up like. Uh, I, me and my friends did in high school, but with fewer top hats to their credit. That's okay. <laughs> Leave the top hats in the past. So I'm sorry. I was just looking at our bylaws and as two white men on a podcast now talking about use, we do have to end the podcast. So uh, I want to thank Jillian Mesner for the okay use of our theme song. If it's one and a half, is that still too many? I think it's, it's okay. too close. It's okay. too close. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, so uh, thank Julian Mesner for the use of our theme music. Uh, we always enjoy playing that. And uh, if you are interested in talking to us about your tabletop, come to our Discord. Talk to us. Let us know what's going on. Makes us happy. Yeah, we're having some conversations over there right now, and it's fantastic. And I'm trying to drum up business so that I can have more questions directly from you guys on the show. And I would love to hear from you. But you can also always write in to info at redraccoongames.com. Uh, if you prefer the, oh, I almost called that snail mail, which feels weird. Yeah. Yeah, I need to end this podcast. Until next time, keep playing. Have fun. Have fun.